Matthew in chapter 28. I'm going to read this and then we'll jump right into, right into some thoughts that I have concerning the resurrection. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and set on it. How cool is that, by the way? <laughs> I want you to just think about that, an angel sitting down on the top of the stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. May God bless the reading of his word. The resurrection of our Lord from the dead for the Christian faith is absolutely everything. Can we all attest to that? I would suppose that if you did not believe that, you would not be here today. But in fact, you are. And so that tells me something. Either you are just an Easter person or you believe in the resurrection from the dead. In the foundation of our teaching, you will find the prophesied Messiah who came, who lived perfect to take on our sin, to substitute us for himself so we could have eternal life. We see that, that act of substitution, right? This is in our foundation. In our foundation, you will find the perfect Savior slaughtered on the cross, lacerated by our sins, pressed down beyond recognition by the Father for our sins. He became that sin bearer who took the penalty that you and I both deserve. He took it on himself, and we know this. We know that that penalty to be death. Sin in the garden in Genesis in chapter 3. And we know what the penalty was. It was death. And in fact, Christ did die on the cross. Lifeless, our Savior hung on the cross. The Prince of Life, the Prince of Life, became the prisoner of death, didn't he? And why did he do that? To obey his Father and for you and me. This too is in our foundation of what we believe. We know according to the scriptures that for three days he laid there. He was dead. He was lifeless. Behind that sealed stone, remember? It was sealed just as Daniel's stone was sealed. 
When the king ordered him to be thrown down into the lion's den, that stone was sealed. And right here, it was sealed. Nobody could open it. There were guards there. It was not going to be opened. But he laid there behind that stone, behind that sealed stone of uh, just like a prison, prison uh, bars. He laid there. Confined to death in his death in his in his jail cell. Standing outside was also guards. Kind of sounds a little bit like prison, doesn't it? Well, I believe there's a reason for that. See, we would all be like that, deserving the death penalty because of our sin, if it were not for Jesus taking on our sin, substituting himself for us in our stead, so that we may be with him someday. But for that to happen, the resurrection had to take place. And this is what separates, my friends, us from the rest of the world, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, without the resurrection Christ from the dead, we have no true foundation. He he is that... The foundation... The resurrection is that part of that stone that holds everything together. That's where the strength is found. It is, and it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful doctrine of truth that, that we see securing our salvation for us. And it does. We see in Matthew chapter 28 that there was a great earthquake and an angel appeared and rolled the stone away. It wasn't sealed anymore. I want you to think about this. There was prison guards outside the tomb as if they were guarding someone that was alive. In fact, he did arise. He did become alive. But they were there and the angel came down and broke that seal, rolling that stone away and the angel sat there and he sat on top of that stone as if to say, huh, That wasn't much. Because Jesus is mighty. The stone was rolled away. And it's as if the Lord is showing us this. Just as when someone is released from prison and the door opens and the debt has been paid or they have served their what? Somebody's been in jail. They have served them their time. That's right. What was due to them? They have served it. Don't raise your hands if you've been there. I don't want to know. But they have served their time in prison or they have paid to come out. They've paid that. Well, here Christ is in the tomb. The the stone is rolled away and he walks out. He walks out. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he served his time. He paid the ultimate price. And because he paid the ultimate price, he ransomed us from our sins. Justifying us. Justifying us. Showing us what Jesus did for us on the cross. It was... Him paying the price for the church. And the stone rolled away shows us that the price was paid in full and that the Father was what? Satisfied. He was satisfied. 
And because of that, Romans tells us that's where our justification comes from. Listen to what it says, Romans 4 and 25. It says this, now listen to me. You want to just write these verses down, you're more than welcome, but I'm going to be moving fast. Romans 4 and 25 tells us, who was delivered up for our trespasses, Christ, as we're talking about, and raised, in other words, resurrected, for our justification. And we know justification, what it means, it means just as if we what? Had never sinned. So there is a purging and a cleansing there for us in this resurrection. So the resurrection resurrection truly is everything to me. That's where I find my hope. That's where I find that justification at. Because of what Jesus Christ done for us. He paid the ultimate penalty. And when that stone rolled away, it was as the Father was saying, I'm satisfied. It is finished. You may walk free. You have conquered death, hell, and the grave. You were a pleasing sacrifice. You have done the work that I have sent you to do. Now go. So we see this all the way through the scriptures. We see it, I mean, and, and I love to talk about the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite places to go, to, to live in. <laughs> I love the Old Testament. Uh, but we see this all the way through the Old Testament. We see it in prophecy form concerning the resurrection. And you say, really? Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. You see it in prophecy form, and there's going to be three things that we're going to look at this morning really quick. We're going to see it in prophecy form in the Old Testament. We're going to see it in type or in picture in the Old Testament, the resurrection that is. And then we're going to see the actual resurrection in the New Testament. Then we're going to apply it to ourselves and then we're going to read some more scripture. So pay attention because we're fixing to dive right in head first by way of prophecy. The very first way that we see this in the scriptures is by way of prophecy. From the, in the Old Testament, from the earliest days, the earliest days, days, earliest days, the book of Job, chapter 19, 24, 25, or 25, 26, and 27, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Job says, after, I'm rot- after I've rotted in the ground, I will be raised to newness of life. And this is the old, one of the oldest books in the Bible. It was wrote before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Job clearly depicts us being raised from the dead, putting on flesh again, but a glorified flesh. He says, for I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. Psalms 22, 1 through 31 gives in detail the, the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a Psalm of David and it's about him, but it's about Jesus more than it's about David. And I, because it's 31 verses, I'm not going to go there and read all of it. But it's, it's all there. You can read it for yourself. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. He believed in the resurrection. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel throws in there that there's going to be a resurrection of those that are lost as well, doesn't he? 
That they're going to be raised up and then that they will be entered into the second death where they will be cast into hell. But the good news is this, for those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that man, that one that took on all of our filth and shame and guilt and everything that we could possibly do wrong, for those that put their faith in him, our flesh will be restored to us. And it will not be just this flesh, but it will be flesh that is glorified flesh. You say, what does that look like? I don't know. It probably doesn't need lotion. It probably doesn't need vitamins. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be perfect. That's all I can tell you about it. I've not experienced it yet. David, even in Psalms 23... We look over it and we pass it by. But at the end of Psalm 23 and verse 6, it talks about one of our church members, Shirley. <laughs> y'all get that? Shirley? 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 Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not talking about going to church and staying there and camping out. He's talking about being in glory with the Lord. We see it in Psalms 23. We see it in Psalm 16. David tells us concerning Christ, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For you make known to me the paths of life. And in your presence there is joy forevermore. You won't abandon my soul to Sheol. You won't leave me there. This is about Jesus. This is about the resurrection. He wasn't abandoned in the, in the belly of the earth. Oh no, he was not abandoned. Scripture tells us very clearly. So we see going through the Old Testament, even Psalm 17, and you see this a lot in the Psalms, but... Why not? I mean, it can be in Genesis, it can be all the way to the end in Malachi, so why not? Psalm 17, 15, as for me, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I wake. I shall behold your face in righteousness when I wake. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can apply that to death now. We can apply it to the great resurrection at his return later. Because we will be with him. He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I wake. You know, that's kind of that's a, a weird thing to think about. Because I, have you ever had a child... Uh, be standing at the edge of your bed when you wake up, staring at you like this. Dad. Dad. And they're poking me on the forehead. Dad. And it's startling. But here the psalmist says, when I wake, I will see your face. I will see your face. I'll behold your face in righteousness. In other words, it's not just in this, but this is in a better state of being. In righteousness. In other words, a glorified form. When I wake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. 
I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Isaiah rejoiced. And he prophesied in the 26th chapter in verse 19. He says, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light in the earth. And the earth will give birth to the dead. See, this is not just a New Testament doctrine or truth that we learn in Sunday school. No, this is not. It is something that the prophets of old prophesied about that it was going to take place. Let me explain something to you. If they can prophesy that a virgin would give birth to a boy and they would call him such and such at a such and such place at a such and such time, don't you think for just a second that they can understand and prophesy about the resurrection? Yes. It's all there. It's all there. Jesus preached from the Scriptures. He preached from the Old Testament. Peter stood up at Pentecost. He preached from the Old Testament. It's all there. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And these are just a few of the prophecies that are contained within the Old Testament that show us that the resurrection is real and that it will happen. That it will happen. The second thing that we see about the, concerning the resurrection, we see it in type. If you have your pen, you want to write some of these down. We see it in type or typology, a, a picture of the resurrection. And these are some of my, fav- my favorite things. Uh, and these are some of my favorite things. <laughs> I think about the sound of music. Y'all know how my mind goes off. Y'all know I, I go to the sound of music. These are some of my favorite things. The, seeing Christ in, in the resurrection and typology in the Old Testament. And we see this throughout from Genesis to Malachi. Second, we see the resurrection by type. The first one is Genesis chapter 1, 9 through 13. You can mark that down. But I have the gist of it, the skinny right here. On the third day, as he separated the waters, he brought forth the dry land. In other words, the dry land was brought up. The dry land was brought up, and it was called earth. After he divided the waters, he brought the dry land up, and then he did something else. He spoke all these plants into existence. Life. Life. There's no life in the desert, is there? But no, you've got to understand what's taking place here. This is a type of the resurrection. And it's all the way back in the smallest form in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. On the third day, on the third day, he separated the waters. He brought forth the dry land, and this land was called earth, which came to life, sprouting vegetation and plants and trees bearing fruit that contained the life, the seed within itself. And this was for all of us to take part in. Food for us. This is a type or a picture of the resurrection. You say, well, that's pretty slim. Let me build on it. Genesis chapter 22 and another beautiful is another beautiful type of the resurrection. 
Genesis 22, we have the picture of Abraham and Isaac and they go and they travel out and he says, take your son, thine only son, and go and offer him upon a mountain which I'll tell you of. So they go and they leave and he takes two boys with him and a donkey and they take wood and they take fire and he tells the boys, he says, stay right here and I'm going to come back and get you. Me and my son will come back later. We're going to go offer sacrifice unto the Lord. So they take off and after three days... After three days, he says, I'll show you where to offer him up to me, your son, your only son, Isaac. We know that's obviously a picture of Christ. But where does the resurrection come in? You've already missed it if you didn't see it. See, for three days he knew that his son was as good as dead. For three days he knew, he knew that he was going up there to be obedient to the father to kill his son because that's what God required of him. So for three days he was processing this. He had time to think about it. He knew that this was about to go down on the top of Mount Moriah. For three days, Isaac was as good as dead to his father as they journeyed. But we see on that beautiful third day, the son was delivered back unto his father, was he not? Hebrews 11 and 19 actually speaks in the New Testament about this passage of Scripture. And this is what it says. 11 and 19 tells us of this account saying, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Now we don't see that in the Old Testament, but we have the privilege of having all of it together. And so we see in Hebrews, it says that he considered that if he killed his son, that God was able to raise him from the dead. You think Abraham believed And the resurrection, I believe so. Romans chapter 4 tells us that he did. That it was accounted to him for righteousness what he did. And he done it by faith. Another type that we see in the Old Testament that actually is brought up back again in the New Testament. Figuratively, in type... Is the person of Jonah. The person of Jonah. Jonah got onto a ship and God's wrath was poured out on him because he was disobedient. Disobedience and guilt and shame was upon Jonah. God's wrath was poured out. The sailors calmed the sea by offering up the man in the bottom into the sea. The storm subsided. And a great fish came and swallowed Jonah, right? Is that a fairy tale or is that true? I hope you don't say fairy tale. It is true. It is true as you see me standing here glowing. It's true. We believe it. Jonah was swallowed. Three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. 
Jesus speaks of this. Jonah was swallowed and then he came out. And after he came out, being bleached by the acids of the, the great fish, whiter than snow, he came out. A hot mess. Went into Nineveh and began to preach. But I want you to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they asked and the scribes, they asked Jesus for a sign. And he said, you wicked generation. You wicked and adulterous generation. Why do you ask for a sign? You always ask for signs. The only sign you're going to get, this is what he tells them, the only sign you're going to get in Matthew 12 and 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we see the resurrection first by prophecy. We see it second by picture. And we also see it third historically in narrative form by the four, in the four Gospels, one of which I've already read to you this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, we see the resurrection there. You see it in Mark, you see it in Luke, and you see it in John. So third, you see it in those historical accounts. And I believe that we know those well enough. You can go read them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have them there. These examples of Christ are not examples, but actual historical facts that Christ rose from the dead. But those are all great fun and well. All those scriptures, all those passages. But what do they mean to us if we never apply them? They're a lot of fun. But if we don't apply them to our life by faith, they're nothing to us. Nothing. They They just aren't. We have all these examples. What do they mean for us? How do we apply them? Well, let me start with this. First and foremost, this is simple. Christ has already done the hard part. The work has been done. The work has been finished. The battle is over. He has won. He came out of the ground victorious. He won. He conquered death, hell, the grave. He conquered it all. Satan thought he had won, but on the third day, Christ Jesus rose from the dead, throwing it all asunder. I mean, he defeated it all. The Lord, according to Scripture, has commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus Christ by faith. First, when that takes place, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a resurrection that takes place here now in this time. You say, what are you talking about? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse, verses 1 and so on. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, he has made alive in Christ. What does it mean? It means you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. You were a dead, cold sinner. You were the best at it. Had a master's of divinity in it. Degrees and PhDs in sin. Dead to the knowledge of the truth. 
And then Sister Martha's favorite verse comes out, but God, being rich in mercy. He brought us to life, didn't didn't he? He brought us to life. This is the resurrection that we experience here in this life. And I promise you, if you experience this resurrection now in this life, you are guaranteed to experience the second resurrection in the next. We have to understand that. So this new life will be the first resurrection that we experience. And it's in the heart. It's in the heart. 2 Corinthians tells us for those that are in Christ, they are new creatures or new creations. Old things have passed. The old, dead, cold, lifeless, non-feeling, sinning hypocrite has passed. Behold, all things have been made new. We have been brought to life in Jesus Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God has brought us to life. By His grace, you have been saved through faith. And so we see that's the first resurrection that we experience. And if we're still here for the second resurrection, we're going to see something Whether we're gone and in the ground and rotting or whether we are alive, we're going to see something awesome. I promise you that. Second, the resurrection. First is a spiritual resurrection that takes place in the heart. And if that takes place in the heart, then you're guaranteed to the second resurrection, which is that when the Lord returns and he calls us home. When he calls us home. In the end, the second, the resurrection of Christ from the dead shows us a physical resurrection. That all who have died or fell asleep in Christ on that last great day, our Lord will call us out of the tombs. He will call us out of the tombs. And our spirits will meet our glorified bodies in the air. And we will be forever with the Lord. This is the hope that we have. I have a hope. And it's not a wish, but it's a surety. It's a certainty. It's a guaranteed. It's a stamp of approval. It is guaranteed that I have been made new. And if been made new, then I will be made new in the future. I will take place, take on a glorified, physical glorified body in that last and great day. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Right or wrong. I don't care if you put concrete around it, seal it off with steel, and, and, and bury it in the bottom of the ocean. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. The Lord, when He calls, <laughs> we see it in Lazarus, don't we? We know that if He had called come forth, the whole place would have erupted. But He didn't do that, did He? He called Lazarus by name. And He stood up and He walked out, stumbled. They said, go, loose his grave clothes. 
on that last and great day when our Lord returns. We'll hear the trump. The trump will sound. The trumpet of the Lord, of God, it will sound. What a day that will be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I read it this morning as I finished. Listen to what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I'm done. We still got five verses to go through though. So, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I've been to funerals where the person has been lost. It is a terrible sight to see people grieving their loss. I've also been to funerals where we know they loved Jesus and they trusted in Him with all that they had and they walked a life that was pleasing and fitting to Him, the the narrow path, the hard path. And you can see it in the faces of those that are gathered around the loved one's shell that's in front of them. You can see even though that it's sad and even though that, that they grieve, that they have a hope that's steadfast and sure that they will one day see again their loved ones. You say, will we really know them? Absolutely. Scripture teaches us that we will be known as we are known here. We will know as we are known. Yes, we will know them. Yes, we will be with them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what he's telling us is for us to not grieve, but us to rejoice. To rejoice, which is the opposite for us to be joyful, not to be grieving and sorrowful. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul gets, he gets down into the the nitty gritty here. He says this, we declare, we proclaim, we confess, profess to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the seniors are going to go first. You understand what I'm telling you? The old folks are going to go first. Those that's been in the ground ever since the beginning, those that went to the dust just as the curse said that they would, those that have been melted back into the ground, those that have trusted in the promise to come, trusted in the promise that had come, and those that look back trusting in the promise that's already come, Jesus, those will be raised up. Be raised up and they will be raised up first. You will see this. They have fallen asleep. They have not died. They have fallen asleep. They're taking a comfy nap in the dust. They have not fallen. They have not died. They're just asleep. Don't think because you're alive and you're going to get to see this that you're going to get to go first. That ain't how it works. Scripture teaches us right here that the dead in Christ will rise first. And I tell you, what's cool about it is we're going to get to see it. (laughs) (laughs) And then right after that, we know that 
in the blink of an eye that we will be with him as well, taking our great flight. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Comfort you one another with these words, with these verses. Comfort one another with these. There are too many today that have no hope. And it's sad to see. Comfort each other with these. It says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Snatched up. Raptured up. We will be caught up together with him in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. <laughs> We're going to meet him in the air. You never stop to think thought about that, have you? <laughs> if I jump off, that gravity is going to do its work. And the laws of gravity are going to bring me down. We're going to meet Jesus with our eyes for the first time in the air. Cool, right? If we're, if we're still alive, that is. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I don't take that term lightly, always. We will always be with the Lord. This is for all eternity. See, he's got his family there now. He's got us here now. And when the roll is called up yonder, he's going to pull them all together at one time, right? And we're going to be with the Lord forever. These, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Day of the Lord. So you see the prophecies contained in the Old Testament of the resurrection. You see by picture and typology the resurrection in the Old Testament. You see in the New Testament the Gospels testifying to the resurrection of Christ Jesus and also the resurrection of the dead through the epistles. We see Paul testifying according to Scripture, that Christ Jesus died and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. We see this teaching, this doctrine played out over and over and over and over. It applies to us. Jesus done it for us. And by trusting in Him by faith, not only do we experience that resurrection from the dead in the heart right now, but one day we will experience that resurrection from the dead in the end. And I give God praise for that this morning. That's worthy of a hand clap. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. We will be glorified just as Jesus was. Let's pray.